The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 8th chapter. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you remain in my word, you are really my disciples. You will also know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are Abraham's descendants, they answered, and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say you will be set free? Jesus answered, Amen, amen, I tell you, everyone who keeps committing sin is a slave to sin. But a slave does not remain in the family forever. A son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, I'd like to follow the progression of Jesus' thought when he says to those Jews who believed in him, if you remain in my word, then you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's begin by talking about remaining in Jesus' word. It is not uncommon for people to pledge allegiance to Jesus. Lots of people are willing to be identified as Christians or see themselves as Christians. Their reasons for seeing themselves as Christians are many and varied. Perhaps they were baptized. Perhaps they were raised going to church. There are some who go to church all the time, so of course they have to be Christians, don't they? And there are those who have just made that choice for themselves. They choose to be Christians. So who are you, then, to say that they are not? Jesus himself, however, identifies the reason why anyone may identify himself or herself as a Christian. If you remain in my word, then you really are my disciple. The opposite of that, then, must mean that someone is not his disciple. If you do not remain in his word, then you really aren't his disciple. This makes perfect sense if you think about it. Being a disciple means being a follower. A good substitute, actually, for the word disciple, which carries with it lots of baggage, is a more neutral word, student. If you remain in Jesus' word, then you are his student. If you do not remain in his word, then, of course, you are not his student. Anybody can say that they are a student of whatever they might want. I can say that I'm a student of astrophysics. Although I can say that, it doesn't mean that I am. Someone could say to me, but you don't know anything about astrophysics. True. You don't read anything about astrophysics. That's true, too. You don't even think about astrophysics. It's been days or months or even years since you've given it any thought. The assumption is one thing. 
realities another. So also, it is very silly for people to claim to be students of Jesus when they never think of him, never pray to him, never hear what he says, or if they do hear what he says, never to act on what he says. I'm not the church attendance police. We live in a free country where everyone can listen to and learn from whomever he or she wants. But I don't see how people who never hear, never pray, never worship, or never receive the sacraments of Jesus can claim to be his followers or students. You know, though, that there are many who claim just that, and they might be you or people that you know and love. We also should not think that mere attendance at the divine service makes anyone a disciple of Jesus. Having Jesus' words go in one ear and out the other doesn't help anyone. There are many people who attend church week after week who hate some of the things that Jesus teaches. They think he has terrible advice for how one is to live one's life or how to be successful. The only reason why they'll tolerate listening to Jesus at all is because they think it will give them salvation. Thus, there are going to be many surprises on Judgment Day. Many are called, few are chosen. There will be some very angry people who will scream at Jesus, didn't we come week in and week out? Didn't we sit there bored out of our mind? Couldn't we have been doing things that we liked? But it will not be difficult to prove how such people are not Jesus' disciples. Although they were in the presence of God's word, they did not love it. Although they honored God with their lips, their hearts were far away, thinking about something else. Let's not kid ourselves. If we don't remain in Jesus' words, we aren't his disciples. Then we don't know the truth. We aren't free. We remain slaves of sin. This is a good way to get at what we consider today with the Lutheran Reformation. The Christian church at the time of the Reformation said a lot of stuff that people wanted to hear. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church continues to say stuff that sounds pretty good if we all just get to make up whatever it is that we want to believe. They basically said, if you stick with them, if you stick with their church organization, then you'll be all right. Make sure that you follow their rules and never disobey the Pope or the church councils, the bishops, or the pastors. Make sure that you maintain your membership. Make sure you don't get excommunicated. Make sure you have a priest there for confession and last rites when you're dying. And if you follow these rules, and really these rules aren't 
too onerous. If you follow these rules, then you're pretty much guaranteed that you'll be fine. Eventually, you're going to go to heaven. Not a bad deal. This was handy in all kinds of ways. Ordinary Christians didn't really have to pay attention to Jesus or follow his commands because monks and nuns could do that kind of thing for you. And no need to worry about sins because the church has a whole medicine cabinet full of stuff, full of remedies, many of which had no biblical basis, nor do they to this day. Jesus did not make any promises about bells or incense or candles or being shaved or pouches that you'd hang about your neck or about not eating meat or about celibacy or about indulgences and a whole bunch of other things. And yet these remedies that were urged upon the people were so old and looked so pious that everybody thought that they just had to do the trick. Plus, of course, the officials and teachers swore up and down that these things worked. Holy Mother Church had said so. They were so entangled in so many lies and so many good lies and so many old lies that it took a tremendous amount of sorting out. Something that is good to remember about Martin Luther and the Reformation is that it was a process that went on for years. It wasn't like Martin Luther woke up one day and suddenly had it all figured out. What really got the ball rolling for the Reformation was his 95 theses or statements against the church's sale of indulgences. And he posted that on October 31st, 1517. That's why we observe the Reformation on that day. Luther was pretty sure that there was something very wrong with just this one church practice of the sale of indulgences. There was a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't even on his radar yet. But what was of utmost importance for Luther and the other reformers for sorting out truth from lies was differentiating between Jesus' word and others' words. It is remaining in Jesus' words that makes a person his disciple. The Christian church, in fact, is made up of people. The Christian church is not a building or a bunch of buildings. It's not a government. It's not an organization with the Pope at the head of it. Jesus, in fact, doesn't say a single word about the Pope ever. There isn't even a single syllable about the Roman pontiff and how Christians are to be obedient to him in the whole New Testament. The Christian church is not even about me as a pastor, as though I'm supposed to boss people around. No, the Christian church is about people, lambs, who hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know his voice. 
His sheep know him and they follow him. They listen to his voice. The Christian church is all those who believe that Jesus is their Savior. It is the following of the voice or the words of Jesus that makes anyone a Christian. If you remain in his words, then you truly are his disciples. If you do not remain in his words, then you are not his disciple, no matter if you are the pope or a bishop, or if you have ceremonies or robes or ancient decrees that seem to indicate otherwise. Luther and the other reformers, distinguishing between Jesus' words and his apostles' words on the one hand and everybody else's words on the other, was what made all the difference. That's how they did their work as reformers. To this day, the Catholic Church claims that it can add to God's word so long as it's done with proper pomp and circumstance. And there are many others who do the same thing in their own way. The Pentecostals, for example, think that they can receive new revelations and tongues and miraculous powers so long as it's done with the proper pomp and circumstance. Or the ELCA, which believes that they can decide for themselves what is a sin and what isn't a sin so long as it's done with the proper pomp and circumstance. The whole world, in fact, is filled to the brim and overflowing with people who never stop telling you what is true, what to believe, how to act, even all the way down to what you should eat and drink. And they certainly can't all be telling the truth because they contradict one another. How do we sort out all this cacophony of messages everybody wanting to teach us? It's as simple as what Jesus says. If you remain in my words, you are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus' words are true. I'd like to mention a very useful tool in this regard, Luther's small catechism. The catechism isn't the same thing as scripture, but without a shadow of a doubt, what is in the catechism is certainly drawn from the scriptures, and this tool is extremely useful in the midst of all the different voices so that we may know what the scriptures say about things so that we may know from the scriptures how it is that we are to act and what we are to believe in and how we are to pray and from where we can receive grace, the forgiveness of sins. Think of the tremendous truths of this little pamphlet of the small catechism. The Ten Commandments teach us what is truly good, truly pleasing to God. Everybody else's ideas about how you're supposed to live your life and what's life-promoting and what is life-giving are just that. They're everybody's ideas. Everybody just does what is good in his or her own eyes. But the Ten Commandments are God's communication to us of his standards. Anyone who takes seriously God's standards for how we are supposed to live will also learn how we are slaves to sin, 
Our desires are contrary to God's desires. Our desires say, do this. And we can't help ourselves. We say, yes, sir, on the double, on the double. We are especially slaves to those things that we think aren't sins at all, like our own ambition, or our own honor, or our own pleasure. What we lack is what we lack what we should be. We lack to do what we should do. We do not love or sacrifice. We don't love even though God is love. We don't sacrifice even though God showed his own love to us in the sacrifice of his own son. When you consider all the other things that the whole world says about how we should live, you will find them silly and superficial and lies compared to the Ten Commandments as Jesus explains them in the Sermon on the Mount. But as Jesus says in our reading, if you remain in his word, you are his disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then he goes on to say, Amen, amen, I tell you, everyone who keeps on committing sin is a slave to sin, and the slave will not remain in the house forever. That is to say, heaven is not a place of evil and sin. The name for a place like that is hell. So how do we slaves free ourselves? We can't. A slave's a slave. If the slave were free to become not a slave, then it wouldn't really be a slave. But, as Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. We have been redeemed. That is to say, we've been purchased and won by the holy, precious blood and the innocent suffering and death of the Son of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we slaves of sin, we slaves of the devil, have been set free. Not by God just wishing it or snapping his fingers, but in fact in an incredibly intimate and painful way. The Son of God became sin for us, suffering in our place, being punished in our place for our sins, thereby bringing about perfect atonement. We are purchased slaves so that we may be sons. You remember this Bible verse, I'm sure. God loved the world in this way, that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus said those words. And remember what Jesus said in our reading today. If you remain in my words, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth. Those words aren't hard words to be a student of. Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the good shepherd. Holy Mother Church isn't the good shepherd. Speaking in tongues isn't the good shepherd. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry who has their own thoughts about right and wrong, life and death, and what we're doing here on this earth aren't the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. He calls out with his voice, Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Jesus alone is the Savior. To him be all glory, now and forever. Amen.